You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Hey, disciple-making people. How you doing out there? Welcome to our podcast today. Remember now, the place for a man, for a woman, completing all their powers is in the spiritual fight. And right now, today, somewhere in the world, making disciples of the nation. So stay tuned, stay encouraged. We've got a rendezvous with destiny. Oh, so very good to have you with us today. want to remind you here, this broadcast today, this podcast today is... Uh, here because of Wesley Biblical Seminary. We want you to check out the school. I'm acting right now as interim president, so obviously I'm as high as I can be on the place. I love this school. Been here for 37 years, and uh, I want you to check it out. Go to wbs.edu. We have programs for lay people all the way to folks wanting to get their doctorate degrees and really everything in between. So check us out at wbs.edu. Now, I was in the other day studying for a sermon in Deuteronomy, and uh, it was about uh, Deuteronomy 18 is is where I was at. And it said, that, this is basically Moses. You remember now Deuteronomy. Moses is getting his people re-ready. In other words, they were ready, but they decided not to go in and get the land about uh, 38, prior, 38 years prior to this moment. And so they had to wander the wilderness. And they'd already been out there two years, at 38 more. They've been in the wilderness 40 years. All the people 20 years and older are now buried in the sand. So the Lord uh, says, okay, Moses, I need for you to talk to them and get them ready to go again into the promised land. And uh, Moses doesn't want them to make the same mistake they made the last time. And he then therefore tells them the second, what they, they sometimes call the second law. Deuteronomy is two and nomas is this whole thing of uh, law, so it's a second law. He tells them again what needs to be happening in their life. And one of the things he wants them to know is about prophets. And in Deuteronomy 18, Moses says, the Lord your God is going to raise up for you a prophet like me. The truth is, uh, I think insinuated in all this is, he's going to raise up for you Joshua, and you're going to kind of know the will of the Lord through Joshua, but... Josh is going to die someday, and the Lord will keep doing it for you. He's always going to have somebody or somebodies that can speak into your life. And really, that's a good bit of the rest of the Bible. Uh, so many prophets, majors and minor prophets, uh, just incredible, incredible reads. But he says in Deuteronomy 18, I'm going to raise up a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I'll put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. I will hold accountable everyone who, who does not listen to my words and speaks in my name, but the prophet who presumes to speak a message in my name that, that I've not commanded him to, well, that guy's going to die. But then he says this, and I find this most provocative and interesting. When a prophet speaks in the Lord's name and the message does not come true or is not fulfilled, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. Now, listen to this. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously, presumptuously. I can't imagine that word's in the Bible much, presumptuously. Do, do not be afraid of him. So 
I kind of started wondering to myself, what does it mean to be presumptuous before the Lord? Now, if a prophet could do that, could you and I do it? Is it possible to live presumptuously? And if so, I want to know then what it means and how can I avoid it? So I kind of decided, is it is it possible for me to live unpresumptuously before the Lord and before his people? And there we go. We start thinking in terms of, yes, it must be possible. So all these prophets that would have become, they should not be presumptuous people, but unpresumptuous people. I just started asking the question, what in the world might that mean? So I uh, I looked up the word presumptuous. And from that, both in the Hebrew and from the English, these are the things I learned. First off, presumptuous is with pride and with arrogance. With pride and with arrogance. And so if you remember a couple of weeks ago, maybe on this podcast, we talked about this Charles Wesley hymn on David and Goliath. And he describes who this Goliath person is. Who is this Goliath? And of course, I'm all interested in that. And Charles Wesley, in a way, only he could do it as a as an English poet. Charles Wesley says, who is that Goliath? Why, he is our own besetting sin. Who's Goliath? <laughs> the sin in our heart. And we need David, and in this case for you and me, be the son of David, to put a rock in the middle of that sin in our own heart. Well, guess what? Pride and arrogance are all about your heart. And who is king of your heart? Who is on the throne of your heart? And it ought to be, obviously, Jesus Christ. Uh, too often, obviously, it becomes someone other than Jesus Christ. It becomes, in most cases, most of the time, us. We are on the throne of our heart. That leads to a pride. That leads to an arrogance and a prophet of God. And, and by extension, in using that metaphor, we all ought to be prophets of God. All right. We we do know that the Lord applies to us the priesthood of God. We are the priesthood of God. So who's supposed to be priests? Who's supposed to be ministers? Who's supposed to be prophets? All of us are. But we can't be presumptuous. We can't be prideful. We can't be arrogant. Next thing I would wonder about this is simply this. I wonder if the prideful uh, who are Christians have just a passing acquaintance with the Word of God and with God Himself. Just a passing acquaintance. So much so that, yeah, 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 I know God, I know how to speak for Him. I know God, I know His Word, yeah, 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 yeah. Instead of saying, no, you know, I want to know it at a deeper level. I want to spend time in His Word every day. I want to spend time in conversation with Him every day. And the reason... I never want to assume I know it all. I never want to assume I know enough. I never want to assume that I know all of him that I want to know. No, I want to go always deeper, always to another level. I, uh, I'm mindful here of a passing acquaintance with the word. I think there's a lot of pastors who, for instance, don't have a prayer life. A lot of prophets that don't aren't in the word every day. A lot of ministers that have decided, yeah, yeah, I know that, I know that, I know that, but are somehow not in to the Lord as they need to be into it through his word, through prayer, through an ongoing conversation with Jesus. Uh, one of my favorite historical heroes is a, a woman named Harriet Tubman. You all will know the name. Born into slavery in the 1820s. She made a daring escape from slavery in 1849, but instead of saying, woo, 
Ooh, free at last, free at last. I'm going to go do whatever I want to do now. She instead turned around and said, now, let me go back in to the places of slavery and rescue others out of slavery. I'm free. I want to help make others free. Now, for whatever it's worth, that's good ministry right there. Whatever your addiction is, and everybody's got them, it might be you, just you. I'm addicted to you. I'm addicted to me. I'm I'm addicted to myself. Or I might be addicted to a substance, or I might be addicted to a uh, to, to sports. I might be addicted to my pet, pet. Whatever you're addicted to, you need freed. You need rescued. And so she just says, I'm free. But now she goes back and rescues hundreds, literally hundreds out of slavery. And her code name was Moses. She never lost a single escapee. Now, a lot of people may miss it. And historically, a lot of people would prefer you not take this all that seriously. But you and I should know she was a devout follower of Jesus Christ. She spent a lot of time learning, memorizing, and meditating on various passages in the Bible. Her, her favorite, I love this, her favorite passage was Isaiah 16, 3. Hide the fugitives, do not betray the refugees. So she pondered the passages, she turned them into prayers. And she just prayed everywhere she went all the time. I prayed all the time, she said. I prayed about my work. Uh, I was always talking to the Lord. So, for instance, when I went to the horse trot to wash my face and took up water in my hands, I said, oh, Lord, wash me. Make me clean. And when I went to take up the towel to wipe away my face, I said, oh, Lord, for Jesus' sake, wipe away my sins. I take up a broom, begin to sweep. Oh, Lord, whatsoever sin there be in my heart, sweep it out, God, clear and clean. She had this just this ongoing dialogue with God all day long based upon her knowledge of the word and based upon her conversation. You know, a lot of us say, I got a personal relationship with Jesus, but do you? Because a personal relationship with Jesus means you're walking with him and you're cognizant of your walking with him. You are talking with him. And I think we all ought to do it out loud, honestly. I think that's the best way to talk with it out loud. So we're talking with, we're walking with him. We're, we're, we're trying to think of his thoughts. We're, we're trying to get into his word and get a personal and a deepening personal relationship with him through the word of the Lord. Anyway, th- th- these, these are important things. So when we talk about presumptuous, we're talking about pride, we're talking about arrogance, we're talking about thinking yourself an expert in something when you really only have a passing acquaintance. I found this interesting, that one of the word meaning of presumptuous is a failure to observe limits. Now, let me tell you what's fascinating about this. This 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 whole limits thing, uh, I think everybody knows that when you take anything seriously, there are limits. When, For instance, if you're going to play athletics, you just know that there's certain things you can't do if you're going to really be good at this uh, athletic thing you've chosen to do. For instance, when I years ago, I was a discus thrower at the University of Kansas. And throwing the discus, you just knew there were some things you did. Like you got up every morning at 5.30. Well, okay, when you got up every morning at 5.30, and actually we were at the gym by 5.30, when you did that, you were saying yes to 5.30, but you were saying no to sleep. And so there are limits on your sleeping late in the morning. And then you knew there's there's dietary limits, things you did, things you didn't do. There were all kinds of limits and the way you lifted weights and the way you didn't lift weights. Whole point is, no matter what you do, athletically or otherwise, there are limits. 
to your behavior. There are limits to even your thinking. I'm mindful that the, the, the group of people called the Desert Fathers, that they're, they called themselves the Athleti Dei, which is Latin for the athletes of God, which meant for them, there were limits on their lifestyle. There were things they would certainly do, spiritual things, but there were material things they decided not to do. And a lot of it had to do with money, and a lot of it had to do with eating, and a lot of it had to do with uh, privation, of meaning we're going out and going away from culture to seek the Lord alone in the desert. I'm just going to suggest to you here, you've got to observe the limits of the Christian faith. Some folks will say, I don't look like all those rules of the Old Testament. Well, y'all, you need to turn to the New Testament, because when you do, what you're going to find is, if you'll just go find the imperatives. That would be the commands of the New Testament. There are just about as many and probably a lot more New Testament imperatives, New Testament commands than there are even in the Old Testament. It's important that we recognize there are limits, but what's beautiful about it is that's the abundant life. Is there some things we do, some things we don't do, and the things we don't do lead us to a more abundant, beautiful, glorious, holy life. And it means we'll be more productive for him. It'll be, we'll be better salt and light for him. That means we are released from all these things people want us to do. And now we're released to doing only what God wants us to do. So a failure to observe limits, that's presumptuous. Another thing about presumptuous, I think this is fascinating too, is being overly familiar. So Remember now, we're, we're leaning back on Deuteronomy 18. And when we lean back on Deuteronomy 18, one of the things that was suggested back there is the prophet who is not a Lord speaks presumptuously. And I don't want to be presumptuous. I want to be unpresumptuous because I don't, the, the next terminology here is overfamiliar. What is a presumptuous one? Someone who is overly familiar. Now, hang on. Someone just said, I thought... We are supposed to go deeper with the word, deeper in prayer, deeper in the means of grace. Yeah, but there's another sense that verse 16, chapter 18, verse 16 in Deuteronomy says, this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. And what's interesting about that is, when that is articulated, the Lord said they have spoken well. Oh, so what, what does it mean not to be overfamiliar? I think it means this. God is not your homeboy. You see, some of us want intimacy with him, and we should have intimacy with the Lord God. But it ought to be an intimacy with tremendous respect. And some of us want to have an intimacy sans that respect. In other words, we want intimacy without any limits to the intimacy. And uh, usually what I do is I get somebody up. I say, hey, hey, stand up just a minute. I'll, I'll be doing this kind of thing before a crowd. So this is what it means to be overly familiar, is we can hold hands with this guy. We can walk with this guy. But beware of putting your arms around this guy and giving him a noogie, particularly when the guy is God. In other words, you don't just throw your arm around him and say, hey, homeboy, and give him, you know, rub his head with your knuckles. No, 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 no. That, Jesus is not your homeboy. The Father, Son, the Spirit are not your homeboys. No, no, no. 
what we say is we want to be intimate, but we want to be respectful. And that's where the term in the, in the Old Testament, fear the Lord comes from. My dad was six foot four, 275 pounds. He didn't have to discipline me. I don't think he had to discipline most of our family very much because we didn't want to poke that bear. <laughs> 275, let's just leave that alone. You know, we didn't want to find out what it was like for that, for that person to erupt. And so we didn't. Did we love him? Yes. Did we fear him? Yes. Was there intimacy with him? Yes. But was there recognition that be careful because you don't want to be so overly familiar that somehow we don't treat him with the respect that he deserves. Here's another uh, understanding of presumptuous, to speak without justification. You speak, in other words, because people want you to versus God wants you to. So you speak without justification of what you're saying. In other words, what you're saying isn't what you're supposed to be saying by God. Now, uh, some of you will know this and most of you will not. But for years, for a couple of decades almost, I did a talk radio program. And, you know, you're doing talk radio and you're on one side of the microphone and you don't see anybody on the other side. You might see your producer, but that's it. So there may be 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000 out, people out there listening, but you can't see them. And the only, the only way you really know if they're listening or not is by phone calls. So you put out a challenge and you get a phone call. What's problematic with that is pretty soon, if you're not careful, you don't say the things the Lord wants you to say. You say things that will generate phone calls. Now, I always had plenty of phone calls because it always seemed that I knew the thing to say to prompt people to call. But I can guarantee you, many of those times I disappointed the Lord because more interested in getting a phone call than I was pleasing him. That's what this means to speak without justification. Be very, very careful of this kind of thing, my friends. What's it mean to be presumptuous? Pride, arrogance, with only a passing acquaintance of the real thing, a failure to observe limits, being overly familiar, uh, to speak without justification, and then this. You speak your own words. You speak your own opinions. And I just love to go back to Jesus for just about everything if I can. Because I think good theology starts with Jesus. I think a good understanding of our faith starts with Jesus. And in John 5, it has uh, this line. John 5, 19. Very truly, I tell you, the Son, and this is Jesus speaking, could do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So even God in the flesh is unwilling to say, I'm doing my own thing. No, he says, what my father's doing is what I do. They're demonstrably linked. Then John 12, 49, 50. I do not speak on my own, says Jesus, but the father who sent me commanded me to say all that I've spoken. Whatever I say is just what my father has told me to say. Ah, that's just beautiful, precious, holy stuff, wonderful stuff. Y'all, that's where we want to be, is we want to say what the Lord wants us to say. We want to do what the Father wants us to do. We want to be the people He wants us to be. And truth of the matter is, there are precious few so-called Christians that are doing life just like that. May we all do better. May we all do much better 
at life like that. Years ago, I was in a chapel at Wesley Biblical Seminary, and the speaker uh, told me the story, and I swear I I must have read it a thousand times, but didn't remember nearly so well as I remember it from that point on, uh, the story of the prophets and a gentleman in the 1 Kings 22 named Micaiah. Now, this is the deal. I'm going to tell you the story real quick here. Uh, There is a civil war, obviously, in uh, in, in Jerusalem, so excuse me, in uh, in Israel. So there's Israel in the north, there's Judah in the south. Israel in the north. Israel never has a good king; they're all evil. Judah has a few good kings, but not nearly enough. And so Judah tends to be a little bit better, but on the whole, Israel and Judah don't like each other. But there were times when they tried to cooperate, and this is one of those times. First Kings twenty-two. There was a lull of three years without war between Aram and Israel. So in the third year. King Jehoshaphat, ever heard that name? Good king. Went to visit the king of Israel. King of Israel was a guy named Ahab. And Ahab said, don't you know that Ramoth Gilead is ours, but we're doing nothing? So he asked Jehoshaphat, hey, will you go with me to fight Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said, oh, I am as you are. My people is your people. My horses, your horses. But could we ask somebody around here if it's the Lord's will? So the king of Israel said, you bet you we can. I've got some, bu- <laughs> I, I happen to pay the salaries of 400 guys that, that tell me this kind of stuff. And so the king of Israel asked these 400 men, these 400 prophets, hey, should I go against Ramoth Gilead for war or should I refrain? And they all have one voice, march, go, do it, get her done. You will be victorious. Jehoshaphat is not so convinced. He's not quite sure that 400 bought and paid for prophets can tell the truth. They they know enough because we got a guy that is paying our salary. They know enough to just kind of go along with the guy paying our salary. But Jehoshaphat says, isn't there a prophet of Yahweh around here? Let's ask him. All right. Jehoshaphat's not happy with this. He's Yeah, there's a guy named Micaiah. I hate that guy. He never prophesies anything good about me. So they go get Micaiah. And all the prophets are saying, listen, listen, Micaiah. Uh, everybody's in favor of him going to Ramoth Gilead. So just, just kind of go along with it. Let's not make it 400 against one. Let's make it 401 against nobody. Micaiah just says, listen, as the Lord lives, I will say whatever the Lord tells me. And this is what he finally says. I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. The Lord said, they have no master. Let everyone return home in peace. And the king of Israel turned to Jehoshaphat and said, didn't I tell you? Nothing ever good, only bad. But Micaiah kept going. Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and the whole heavenly army was standing by him at his right and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab, king of Israel, to march up and fall, fall at Ramoth Gilead? So a spirit finally came forward and said, I will. I'll, I'll go and entice him. And the Lord said, well, how are you going to do that? He said, I will go and become a lying spirit in the mouth of all his bought and paid for prophets. Well, you go and do that. You see, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours. And the Lord has pronounced disaster against you. So said the prophet Micaiah. Someone <laughs> reared back and smacked him right on the cheek. Micaiah said, you will soon see me. 
you will you will soon see whether the Spirit of the Lord spoke to you in that moment or not when you go and hide in an inner chamber on that day. So it says, King of Israel, Judas King Jehoshaphat, did in fact go up to Ramoth Gilead. A man drew his bow without taking any kind of special aim, struck the king of Israel through the joints of his armor. So Ahab says, hey, turn around, get me out of here. I'm badly wounded. The battle raged throughout that day and the king was propped up in his chair. But he died that evening and blood from his wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. And the cry rang out in the army. Each man to his own city, each man to his own land. In other words, run for your life. Everybody's on their own. And then in a moment as low as you can go, if you're the king and they're talking about you, it said this, king died. He was brought to Samaria. They buried him and they washed out his chariot and the dogs licked up his blood and the prostitutes bathed in it. Y'all, here's the message. If you were going to be presumptuous, like the bot and paid for 400, you die. Now, I think there's a death that is eternal. I think there's a death that is here now. And the death here now is more spiritual than physical, but it could also be physical. But I suggest to you, you don't want to live presumptuously and die a spiritual death before you die, if you know what I mean. And what you want to do is be unpresumptuous, like Micaiah. You want to make sure that you're a person, a priest, a minister, a prophet, a layman, someone who takes their faith seriously without pride and arrogance, with much more than simply a passing acquaintance of the Word of God, of prayer, and of a serious personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You want to observe the limits that God gives to you, those limits will give you life. Beware of over-familiarity. Speak only with the justification of the Almighty God. Speak what Jesus wants you to speak, and be very wary, folks, of your own words and your own opinions. God has a better plan than all that for you. All right, it's a wrap. Been an honor to have you listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast with Matt Friedman. Hey, check out our books on Amazon.com. And remember that newest book we got out there, The Doctrine of Good Works. You'll be blessed by it. Always, always tell others about our podcast. And remember, my wife thanks you. My daughter thanks you. My sons and their wives thank you. And I can assure you that I thank you for listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast today. Love God. Live clean, keep the faith, make disciples, and God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon.